so much for joining us today on episode number 187 of the Real Life Runners podcast. Today we are going to be answering some listener questions. We love these episodes. We love it when you guys send us messages. If you haven't yet, go check out our website. You can leave us a message. So today we're talking about different types of shoes and also what it means to be race fit and if it's even a good idea. This is the Real Life Runners podcast and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. All right, so today it's listener question days. And these two questions actually come from the same listener, but we just thought they were both really good questions that a lot of people could benefit from. So we wanted to definitely hit both of them. And they they really tie together a lot more than you would think of the Mm -hmm. idea of, of different shoes for different distances and being race fit. Yeah. So if you aren't sure what we're talking about, you can leave us a voicemail. If you have a question that you would like answered to, or if, you know, for the possibility of being featured on the podcast, you can go over over to our website at realliferunners.com and on the right hand side of the page there's a little button that says send us a message with a little picture of a microphone. You basically just click on that and it will allow you to record a voicemail for us Um, and it's really fun. I love hearing from you guys and I usually send back a response as well and then we will choose some to talk about in more detail on the podcast if we think it's a good idea that more people could benefit from. Yeah, they're actually really a lot of fun to, to just sort of get the little message. Yeah. Yeah, so go ahead and check that out. Also, um, as another little aside, the Real Life Runners training team is open this week for enrollment, okay? We are taking new members for February. Spots are limited. We have um, a few spots remaining, at, at least at the time of this recording. Um, I don't know, you know when you're listening to this, but if you are looking for guidance, if you're looking to get rid of the frustration and the training plateaus and the injuries and learn a better way to train, one that's tailored to you and your goals, one that can bring in more joy, more satisfaction, more accomplishment and pride and just making you feel amazing, we invite you to go check it out over at realliferunners.com forward slash team, you will not be disappointed, okay? If you become a member of our team, you are going to be able to do things you never believed possible and look at running in a totally new and beautiful light. That's really a lot lot that you put there. I was going to say join the team, change the world, but I like yours. I mean, that's really what we're going for here. That's what we got. The whole point of this podcast and our team and everything that we're doing is to help you be a healthier person. That's physically and mentally. And when you're a healthier person, when you're a happier person, there's a huge ripple effect there. You find more satisfaction in your family, in your friends, in your relationships, in your work, and you're just bringing more joy to the world. So yes, that's really our goal here. We do want to change the world and leave the world a better place than we found it. And we want to do that through running. Change the world one step at a time. Literally one (laughs) step at a time. Leave it to Kevin for all the puns. Um, So yeah, so go check that out. We're open this week. We're going to be shutting down the doors um, either when we reach our maximum um, number of members, which is 30 for this month, um, or by Sunday, February 28th, whichever one comes first, so that we can take care of those new members. You know, we're just, we're going to shut it down. We'll reopen it again in March. Um, But if you want to get in on this round and you really just want to get started, like get in there, let's do this thing. Yeah, seriously. It's new year and races are going to start showing up here. So let's go. So realliferunners.com, click on training team, or you can just go to realliferunners.com forward slash team and find out more information there. So on to today's episode. So we've got a couple of really great questions that come from our friend Brendan, who is in our Real Life Runners tribe, which is our free Facebook group. Hopefully you're already a member of that. You can also find that information on our website if you want to join. Um, And Brendan asks us a a couple different questions about shoes and about what it means to be race fit and if that's a good idea or not. So we're going to get into that today. Right. So let's start off with Brendan's first question and here it is. Hi, Kevin, Angie, Brendan from New South Wales, Australia here. I've seen conversations about people talking about having different types of shoes for different distances, a firm shoe for 5K, 10K, because you don't want to lose uh, momentum due to the softness, uh, and then, you know, really soft shoes for sort of 50K and longer ultra marathon distances to, you know, help preserve your foot. Can you just talk about 
the reality of that, the benefits, disadvantages of going down that pathway, uh, besides the obvious one of the cost and whether there's actually any benefit in having different shoes, uh, different types of shoes for different distances. Thank you. Bye. All right, Brendan, thank you so much for your question. So, Kev, you are our shoe guru, our resident <laughs> real-life runner's shoe guru. Where do we start with this? All right, so let's start with why companies make so many shoes in the first place. Because you go to, like, any shoe company website, and there's not, like, two. There's not, like, here's the men's version and here's the women's version. Those are different in the first place because of the width of the shoe. Pretty much that's it. It's just the width of the shoe. But how come there's so many different – I mean, there's – dozens on there at all different price points and all sorts of different things is it because of money yeah so i mean shoe companies are a business right so they it's their job to sell shoes so they want to have as many different options as possible especially when they come in different colors right like you can buy the same shoe in different colors I and mean, brooks is no you know notorious for this like they've got so many different color shoes and you're like oh i like that one. Ooh, i like that one like i get the text every March, you know, from my sister, actually, actually every February, because that's when they're released, you know, of, oh, you, Angie, you really need these shoes. Like they have their St. Patrick's Day yep. version of the Brooks launch. And yes, I love them every single year. I mean, they they make so many, and there's a lot of shoe companies. Brooks is a big one on, they literally make shoes for various holidays, um, which is cool. And, and races. And different races. They have mm-hmm. a Boston shoe. Um, New York. And they've, they've done various things, and other companies have this, and they come at various price points, too, because some people want, like, whatever the shoe is, if it's $250, that must be the best shoe, so I'm going to buy that one, so shoe companies make it. Mm-hmm. And if shoe company A makes a $250 shoe, then shoe company B says, well, darn it we're gonna make a 250 dollars shoe also right. right and then people see that right consumers see that and you're like oh that must be a really good shoe right or you watch somebody when you know races happen and only elites happen now but you, we're gonna have olympics coming this summer so then you look and see ooh, what does that person have on their foot clearly i should be racing that thing also mm-hmm. are you sure are you actually Olymp- an olympic level runner that might not be the most optimal shoe for you to put onto your foot right so shoe companies obviously want to sell more shoes but they also also design shoes for specific purposes, right? So there are different types of shoes out there. There are racing flats, there are minimalist shoes, there are lightweight trainers, there are maximum cushioning trainers, there are support shoes. I mean, there are so many different categories of shoes nowadays. So each shoe does serve a specific person purpose and is also tailored, I think, for a specific type of person in a lot of situations. For a lot of them, for a very specific person. And I mean, you you came up with a lot of them there. I, I want to add in like support versus neutral versus stability, um, trail shoes, racing spikes, and then mm-hmm. the new super shoes, the carbon plated shoes. Here's the thing. Shoes have had like plates in the middle of them for a long time, whether it was a plastic, whether it was a carbon plate, what, whatever it was, there were used to be plates. Now there's more plates and a higher stack and shoes are, they just look super and they're, they're fancy pants, but <laughs> fancy pants. the thing is that do you necessarily need that shoe? Is it going to serve a benefit for you? And is it worth how much that shoe actually costs? Like, is the is the benefit really worthwhile? Right. So obviously, like Brendan mentioned, cost can definitely be a prohibitive factor in this when you're deciding on how many different types of shoes should I buy? Like, because shoes obviously have a lifespan to them, right? Like, shoes only last so long. So it's not like you can just buy a couple different types of shoes and then just have them like they're going to wear out and and they will wear out at different rates depending on what kind of shoe they are depending on how much you train in them right because hopefully you're not doing as much running in your racing flats as you are in your just normal everyday cushioning trainers but at the same time the racing flats are also not going to last as long because there's just not as much shoe there there's really just not as much shoe and as as well as shoes are defined are made right now the the carbon the foam inside of them literally breaks down over time Mm -hmm. like it's it's just foam and it in fact breaks down and degrades over time so i have not as bad as it used to be not as bad as it used to be like still happens shoes you literally used to have a shelf life Mm -hmm. like it was like oh have they been there for a while and i mean think about like old old pair of shoes that you like find in the back of the closet and you go to like step in them and they crunch like it doesn't have (laughs) foam anymore it's actually like hardened 
it, that happened. I mean, that's an extreme level. You take a shoe and you like you leave it in the hot, hot garage or something like, like if that. If that's you, you need to throw your shoes away. You should get new shoes. Yeah. Don't hold on to those. Yeah, and I mean, unless they're like <laughs> super, super amazing, you broke a f- like the four minute mile in them. Like Roger Bannister's shoes look like they're falling he, apart. He should still point. keep them. I, I think they're in a museum somewhere. Probably. But that's okay. All right, so let's talk about what kind of shoes you might want to consider. So there's a quote by Stephen Covey begin with the end in mind. And this is a great thing for us to keep in mind, both when we're talking about shoes right now, and then also when we move on to Brendan's next question, we'll, we'll go back to this idea too of staying race fit. But begin with the end in mind. What do you need this shoe for? Because each shoe has a job, right? Each shoe has something that it is optimized for. And th- those things can definitely overlap in a lot of cases. And then some of them are just quite unnecessary. Like, those of us that are endurance, long-distance road runners do not need a pair of track spikes, for example. A very, very good point. <laughs> when, when... Even if you do occasional track workouts, you don't need a pair of racing spikes. Yeah, no one's standing at the gate checking to make sure that you have spikes before you come onto the track. Like, <laughs> it, you can go out and just run in a pair of shoes. Right. And, and, and that's, that's obviously a pretty extreme example. Like, I don't think most real-life runners would even consider owning a pair of trail of, – of, um, track spikes but it's kind of the same thing with other types of shoes too so let's talk about that all right so track spikes versus like road racing flats they're basically the same thing except for track spikes have actual metal or ceramic spikes in the bottom of them Mm -hmm. but other than that they're very minimal shoes there's not much shoe between you and the ground underneath you so the, the payoff for this is that you get more feeling of the ground. You feel like you're going faster. The way the shoe bends, it actually helps propel you forward. So as your shoe kind of roll, as your foot rolls from the heel towards the toe, the toe off is more powerful in a pair of spikes or racing flats because of the way that the shoe is defined. You also, because it's not like landing on a pillow because there's literally less foam between you and the ground, the shoe doesn't absorb the impact. So the what absorbs the impact is more like your calf muscles. So every time you land, your calf muscles essentially compress like a spring. And when you go to take a step, they uncoil and you get this boost on your step. Like mm-hmm. your muscles literally act as springs. And so every step kind of springs you back up. If you put on super cushiony shoes, you lose some of that bounce back because Mm -hmm. the shoe absorbs it unless you throw one of these super foam carbon plated because they've got all the foam for the cushion but then they put a plate in there on top of it to try and still give you the rebound effect they just take the effect out of your caps Mm -hmm. well yeah and and i think that's a really important thing to point out and that will be something that we discuss when we talk about maybe some of the negatives of some of these shoes yeah um so running shoes as, as a racing shoe generally are much lighter and have a lower heel in general. There's mm. exceptions to this rule, but generally lighter, lower heel, and almost no support underneath you. Right. And so like Kevin said, this is allowing your calf muscle and your tendons to act as that spring. So basically every time your foot hits the ground, your foot is exerting a force onto the ground and the ground is exerting a force back onto your foot. That's just Newton's laws, laws of motion. That's Newton's third law. For every force comes an equal and opposite reaction. Excellent. Or, right? I mean, for every action comes an equal and opposite reaction. Yes, but he uses the word action to replace the word force. Yeah, so it's the same thing. So when when that happens, right? So the, the ground is literally pushing up against your foot every single time you land. And so if your muscle and tendon act as the spring or the coil that they are, they compress and then you can use that ground reaction force to propel you forward. But if you have a lot of cushioning underneath you, then your spring just isn't as efficient. Yeah, no, it's an excellent way of putting it. The issue comes if you're not used to using your calves as this excellent rebounding spring, Mm -hmm. and then you go into racing flats where the calves have to do all this work. The lower heel makes your calves do more work. The way that the shoe like rolls forward makes your calves do more work and use the spring effect. So if suddenly you're out there for an hour, two hours and extended, Mm -hmm. now your calves are screaming, what are you doing? I I don't do this work in the first place. And now I've been trying to do it for two hours. Right. Because a lot of people wear trainers like 
cushioning shoes or lightweight trainers that have some sort of heel drop to them. So that basically means that the heel, the cushioning in the heel is built up a little bit higher than the cushioning in the forefoot of the shoe, right? So it's kind of like you're running in high heels. It obviously is not as drastic as a stiletto, but it's one of those things that if the heel is up a little higher, basically that's shortening your calf and your Achilles. So your body is used to running with your calf in a slightly shortened position, whereas racing flats usually have like zero drop pretty much, right? Are there, are there any, there are some, I think, that have like a four millimeter drop? No, that's where you get into the difference between like a, a minimalist shoe, like racing flats. My racing flat has um, a decent drop. Mm-hmm. The difference between heel drop in my trainers and my racers is actually pretty minimal. I think okay. I go from like a 10 millimeter to like an seven or eight millimeter. Okay. They're pretty close to each other. A lot of racing flats out there, like I have a, a racing flat that actually has a little bit of stability put into it. And because of that, they have to build the heel up a little bit more. Most neutral racing flats are going to be even lower than that. Yeah. Because the issue is the more you put into the shoe, the heavier it is. And the goal for a racing flat is essentially to be as light as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got shoes out there that weigh like three or four ounces. Yeah. That's it. So. Right. So if your body's not used to running in a shoe that's that flat, then it is putting more stress on your calf muscle, on your tendons, right? So if you plan on racing in racing flats, you need to also do some training in racing flats. Now, do not do all of your training in no, racing No, no, please don't. Do not do that. That is not what we're saying, okay? But you have, like, it's important that if you want to try them out, if you, if you want to race in them, that you should do some training runs in them or some portions of your training runs in them so that your body gets used to it, so that you start stressing your calf muscle and your tendon before the race to actually build the strength and build the muscle memory and the things like that in the muscle as preparation for the race. Like that should be part of your training. Right. And an excellent way to see if you even like the the feeling of these shoes. Um, One, if you go to like a specialty running shoe store, they'll probably let you actually run outside in them up and down a sidewalk. Try running at like a faster than normal pace. Like show up, if you're going to buy racing flats at a specialty running store, show up in clothes that you actually would like to go outside and run on the sidewalk. Don't rock in in a pair of jeans. Like it's not going to work. Put the shoes on and run at a brisk pace down the sidewalk and then come back even faster and see what it feels like to run fast in these shoes. Mm -hmm. If it just feels uncomfortable you might not even want to get them. Right. And again, it depends on why you're doing this. Like what is the purpose of the race and how long is that race too? I think that that plays a really big role. And I want you to definitely talk about your experience in racing flats when you chose to run them in, um, run the marathon in them versus not. Um, but basically what is the purpose of that race? Like is a PR or a PB the ultimate goal? Like, are you trying to run your fastest time ever? Um, or is the race just kind of like something that you're going out and doing for fun and how long is that race yeah right like I think that's a really big determinant of whether or not you should even consider it yeah because racing flats for for most runners out there racing flats for a half marathon or a marathon are probably a bad idea Mm -hmm. like that I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there especially for real life runners like if we're talking elites maybe it's a little bit different but even the elites have you know different types of shoes right there are elites out there that wear essentially lightweight trainers as their racing flats if they're racing a marathon Mm -hmm. some of them are out there in the crazy super ultra lightweight stuff because they have just immaculate form Mm -hmm. like they naturally have a perfectly neutral foot strike some of them have foot issues they over pronate they like whatever it is and they need a little bit more shoe underneath them so they wear the lightest shoe that they can get away with Mm -hmm. because they're professional runners so the whole goal of their running is to literally push the envelope as much as possible at all times right but you as a real life runner all of us as real life runners like how fast are your are you running like will the weight of your shoe actually make a difference in your PR, your PB, your performance here? Yes, 100%. Mathematically, an improvement to your performance. Tell us. Okay, so you may have heard, depending on how big of a shoe and running nerd you are, and if you are, I love you, okay? <laughs> um, but you may have heard this, this number thrown out there, that for every ounce the shoe is lighter, you will run one second faster per mile. Per mile. 
Okay. So that means if you go from like a, I don't know, eight ounce trainer Mm -hmm. to a four ounce racer, that's four seconds per mile. Mm -hmm. Over the course of a 5k, you just dropped your PR by 12 seconds. Okay. And for some people that matters. Yeah. Right. Like if you are a really fast runner and and that matters to you, then great. For other people, they're trying to go from like, if you're going, trying to go from like 40 minutes to 30 minutes, does 12 seconds really matter that much? Right. And then that's the thing is say you've run a 5k a couple of times and one time you did it in 35 and then you did it in 31 and then you did it in 37. Your range is so wide Mm -hmm. that the difference that the shoe is going to make is negligible. Mm -hmm. Like you probably won't notice that the shoe is causing much of a payoff. On the other hand, if you're consistently hitting the same time over and over and over, consider moving to a slightly lighter shoe and see if that's the thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so now if you're thinking, okay, well, one second per mile per ounce, if I stretch that out to the marathon, I can Boston qualify just by changing shoes. Not necessarily. Right. Okay. And before we get there, first off, that whole second per mile per ounce is cuckoo birds. Okay. (laughs) As I tried to figure out where this number actually came from, it came from a study back in 1984 that was... Completely funded monetarily by Nike to begin with. So let's keep that in mind. Okay. And the actual result said that for every 100 grams less weight on the the foot, that there was a 1% improvement in aerobic capacity. Okay. And then Dr. Jack Daniels, one of the great running coaches of all times, took this and kind of played with the numbers and said, so that changes your VO2 max from this to this, and it changes your how many meters per minute you're running from this to this. And he literally extrapolated it out with a whole bunch of like, mm, I guess you could technically translate it from here to here to here. And like 12 steps later, he said that for every one ounce, you gain 0.85 seconds. Mm. But Dr. Jack Daniels said it, so then it just became became biblical. hard biblical hard fast rule. Yeah. I think it might actually be in Jack Daniels' book. I mean, you would think so. I'm pretty right? sure. It's I mean, in if there. he's the one that came up with it, he probably put it in his book because he was connected to the study. Yeah, he's. All, I mean, he's fascinated by the whole idea of like how can we shave any time off of it, and so he took the idea of improving your ability to run and tied it to how fast, like what numbers are we actually looking at? Mm-hmm. But the issue that comes up is do you actually get that massive payoff over the course of 26 miles right because i mean really the longer you're running the more cushioning and support you need right because your muscles are starting to fatigue so they're not doing as good of a job like supporting you so then do you need a little bit extra support from your shoes or from other things like in a lot of cases i would argue yes yeah and i think that was kind of brendan's question is when you go faster do you actually get a benefit off of flipping over to racing spikes should you get more of a minimal shoe yeah at shorter distances if you're cranking out 5ks and you're pretty brisk and you want to see what happens give racing shoes a shot mm-hmm. If, or a lightweight trainer. Or a lightweight trainer. Especially if you're in like a pretty heavy, like max cushioning trainer, you could flip over to a lightweight trainer and try racing in that mm-hmm. before dropping all the way down to like a super ultra lightweight racing flat. Right. But before you try racing in it again, try some training runs in it. Right. Yes. Like, and I have a friend who likes, ha- she has some shoes that she uses for speed workouts and then she has other shoes that she uses for long runs. I think that might be more of kind of what the real life runner might be looking for here versus actual racing flats here right so my friend her she just likes the feel of the lightweight trainers like during Mm -hmm. speed work because she feels like her feet are lighter she feels like she's able to go faster she just likes the feel of them yeah so that used to be kind of my training model as I had two shoes and one was a little bit more shoe one was a little bit less shoe but they were both clearly training shoes Mm -hmm. and so on Tuesday Thursday I would wear my lighter trainer and on all the other days I would wear the the more bulky shoe okay so you gave this theory a, a try right so you run marathons in both your racing shoe and your just normal trainers and tell us about your experience all right i have always raced marathons and any race i've always put on racing flats mm-hmm. always i think that's so much like ingrained in you from you know your 
your cross cross country and track days, like your time as a competitive runner. Like whereas someone like me, like I would never even think to put on different shoes. Like I just have my running shoes. These like, are my running shoes. These are my running shoes. So this is what I'm going to wear to train in. This is what I'm going to w- run to race in. Right. So since I was 14, every time I put a number on my chest, that means I put racing shoes on my feet. Mm-hmm. And then I got to college and I realized that I could race cross country in spikes because in California, spikes are banned in high school. And so, oh, really? yeah. I, and so I got to college and thankfully one of the kids on the team was also from California. And he goes, Hey, California, we wear spikes to run cross country here. And uh, so, so that was helpful. Nice. So I have done a marathon in training shoes on a couple of occasions. One, I, I surprised Angie one morning and decided to training run, run a marathon. That was fun. You you didn't do that. Oh, that was your training shoes. That was just training shoes because I was actually just going off on a training run. Mm -hmm. It was part of a buildup to something longer. And so I just, I was aiming for around 25 that day and I felt good. So I did Mm 26.2. That made sense to me. Yeah. But I also I ran think a marathon. It, it would make sense to pretty much every other runner listening to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like if it's you're like, at 25, you're going to do 26.2. It's like stopping at 13. If you've never run a half marathon, you're not going to stop at 13. You're going to go ahead and finish that off, right? For the, for the most part, okay. Um, but I also wore my training shoes when I ran the ultra, and I ran my ultra pretty briskly. Like on my training run marathon, I I did not. I did not push the pace at all. But when I ran an ultra, I ran pretty quick. Yeah. And you were running like 620 pace, I think. Somewhere around that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, plenty of the miles were a little bit faster than that. And I definitely slowed down at the end, but my calves were not screaming the entire time. Right. Whereas the last time I ran a marathon in racing flats, I could already feel my calves at the 13 mile mark. Ooh. Like... I could feel them pretty early and I saw you guys and I knew that my, my shoes, my normal training shoes were in a bag in the car and I was going to see you again. And I strongly considered yelling out to you guys, get out my red shoes because I was just going to flip into Like I was going to stop and change shoes and the like two to three minutes of changing shoes may have actually made a difference over the last like six miles that I had to keep taking walking breaks because my calves were just seizing up on yeah, me. Yeah. Your calves were just like killing you at that point in time. Yeah. Right. So I think that that's really important. And so Kevin basically ran a marathon in racing flats in his racing shoes. And he did not. And but I mean, you also, to be fair, right, you won a marathon in those shoes as well. Very good point. Right. Like, so (laughs) I think that that that's also important, right? You actually won a full marathon, won half marathons. Like, so it is possible um, you know, I think maybe your racing shoes might just need to be replaced. There's also a possibility that <laughs> since I haven't changed my racing shoes in Quite I don't some know, time. six to seven years, a long it's time. possible that I just simply need to get a new pair of them right. because they might just not have the squish to them. It's also possible that my calves need a little bit more help as... I am of also five or six years older As you're than when a I new decade. Yeah, well, then when I first got the racing shoes, mm-hmm. my legs could respond to being in the racing shoes. Yeah. Now, when I really go to book it and I tie them on, even tie them on for a five k, they don't feel the same way. I don't mm-hmm. feel the same like joy and happiness of having those things on there is I feel the ground a lot is <laughs> yeah. what I really feel in those right, things. Right, right. So that's, that's that's kind of our take on, on racing shoes, on the different types of trainers that you can get. So yes, there can be a benefit to having different types of training shoes, right? Yes, like exactly one second per ounce per mile. Right. But, or, or just the way you feel, right? I know that there's someone in our tribe um, that likes to have different shoes of different cushioning levels and different drops because she feels like it makes her foot need to respond and her muscles kind of strengthen. And there's something to be said for that, right? Totally. So I think that there is a, a benefit of mixing up the different types of shoes or the different brands of shoes because every brand is a little bit different as well. So you could be, you could like a neutral cushioning shoe. And if you have one from Nike and you have one from Brooks, it's going to feel different on your foot. And the bend of the shoe is also different. You know, like I noticed this when I changed brands is like all of a sudden my like toe was sore and I looked at the bottom of the shoe and there was a different bend in the, like the flex point of the shoe was different. So it was putting pressure in a new area on my toe and I got used to it and it was okay. But that is a good benefit, I think, of sometimes changing up the kinds of shoes that you're using so that you're not stressing the same tissues in the same way on every single run. 
Right. I mean, it's the the challenge of trying to do every single run on a treadmill and then never doing strength workout on top of it. Mm-hmm. If you ever then go and run on the slightest of uneven surfaces, you're going to hurt your hips. Right. So I don't think you need like five different types of shoes, but if you have a couple that you want to rotate through, um, there are some people that believe that that extends the life of the shoe because you let the shoe and the foam rest in between so that you're not out there pounding the same shoe every single day. Um, whether or not that's true, I think depends on you as the runner and how hard you are on your shoes. Cause everybody lands a little bit differently and, um, treats their shoes a little bit differently. Right. So I think that there is some benefit if we want to kind of wrap this up to having different types of shoes. Um, so I would say cost would be the biggest prohibitive factor in this case. Right. So it's, it's a matter of how many different things you want. I, I like to suggest having a couple different shoes, whether you necessarily need a racing flat or more of a lightweight trainer mm-hmm. uh, depends on how fast you're going, what kind of shoe your normal trainer is. So that's one thing. But one last thing before we completely wrap up shoes, a category that you might want to strongly consider is trail shoes. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you do running on technical trails, there's a lot of turns. It's very slippery. It's uneven. It's super rocky. You're like, yeah, technically there's a path, but it's really just a lot of like rocks that are all angled. And I'm just kind of hopping from stone to stone. You should strongly consider getting a pair of actual trail shoes. What's the benefit? you actually have greater grip underneath you. Mm-hmm. The The hard rubber part underneath you is a little bit thicker. So if you land on a sharp rock, it's less likely to come up and actually bruise the bottom of your foot. Yeah. Okay. So I grew up in California and I was just listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago about you know, what kind of things you need to, to put into your, uh, your running gear if you start doing a lot more trail running because trail running has become more, a lot more popular it during has, the, the sure. pandemic here. Um, and one of the things was trail shoes and the guy who also lives in California was sort of mocking California trails. He goes, they call it like dirt carpet because they're so well groomed that it's like, it's just smooth. It's just dirt. Okay. So here's, here's the caveat is just because you're running on dirt does not mean you need a trail shoe. But if you're running on ground that's very uneven, very rocky, very slippery, you should get a trail shoe. They're going to be massively beneficial for you. There you go. All right. So, Brendan, thanks for that question. We hope that helped. And let's move on to your next question. The other question is about uh, staying fit. More specifically, I've seen different conversations in different areas about people simply this year wanting to stay 5K fit or half marathon fit or marathon fit. Can you talk a little bit about what that might actually look like on a, a weekly basis? Uh, you know, w- what sort of distance you know, on a weekly average uh, as a range would people be looking to cover, for example, if they're trying to stay half marathon fit? Is 40Ks a week sufficient? Is it 60Ks? What kind of distances are we looking at there? Thanks, guys. Bye. Okay, awesome. So let's talk about what it means to be race fit. So like Brendan was saying, right, in the current race environment, a lot of people are just not sure when the nice next race might show up, right? You, you're kind of training for a race and you hope it's going to happen, but you're not quite sure. And the race isn't sure what they're doing yet. They're, they're trying to let the, you know, get the approvals from the city and this and that. And then at the last minute they cancel or at the last minute they get the approval. And so you're not really sure what's going on, right? So people are in this mentality of wanting to be race ready at all times so that if the race shows up, if the race is live and in person, they can just jump in and register at the last minute once they know it's actually going to happen. Right. Which is an issue because this kind of ignores most like conventional training wisdom of just try and maintain peak condition always. Yeah. Like how do you even do that? Right? Like we talk about training. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's really the key, right? We talk about having training cycles, right? Where you're preparing for a race or um, you're doing like a down cycle where you're kind of like allowing your body to rest and recover. Maybe you're doing a base building cycle if you've got a longer race in the horizon. But we like to really train our athletes to work in cycles. So just staying race ready all the time is really not the ideal way to train. Yeah. You point out a good thing of, of this like cycle training. Some people call it block training. We talk about it in cycles. Um, but you basically train a variety of systems within that, that cycle. You kind of 
have one more, like, this is going to be a big time of building aerobic, or I'm going to build up my mileage during this time. And, and it all kind of leads towards whatever your major race is. That doesn't mean you can't have races along the way, but you kind of pick a big one that you're aiming for some distance out in the future and, and put everything into that guy and build up different systems over different blocks. Now, you never neglect anything during any block, but you kind of f- have a, a focus during each training thing. And it ultimately ends with this sort of like sharpening block which does not last very long and during that you're in this peaking phase Mm -hmm. where you can actually run as as fast as possible ideally for that particular race distance right exactly so when we think about what race fit actually means we have to think about what your running experience is like that is a really important factor for us to take into consideration like did you just start running at the beginning of the pandemic? You know, did you just start running at the beginning of this year and you think that you might want to do a 10K, a 5K, a half marathon, whatever that might be? Race ready for you is a lot different than someone that's been running for 10, 20, 30 years, right? Because they just have so much more mileage on their legs, more experience, more muscle memory, right? Like when you've been running for that period of time, your body's just able to adapt in different ways. Right, so you can kind of flip into race-ready mode, in theory, a little bit faster. But the other thing about if you haven't been running all that much, like you can actually just improve yourself with the very simple coaching advice of run more. Like sometimes that's actually just a solid piece of coaching advice of, well, I'm currently training, I run three times a week, and I do about two miles every time I go out there. Mm -hmm. I'd like to run a 5K faster. Okay, run more. Right. Like turn those from twos to threes and you'll be more race ready than you were. Mm -hmm. Or add in a fourth day. Yeah. Right? Like, and again, when you start adding things in, you want to add gradually. Don't just decide you're going to increase every single run of your training week, right? You want to maybe add one, maybe then the next week you add up, up another one, like so that you're not just increasing your mileage too much, right? right? Too much too soon. Please don't fall into that trap that so many runners do. They start getting excited and seeing races on the horizon and then they just start amping up their mileage, ramping up their mileage and end up injured. Yeah, this one goes to 11, but my calves don't keep up. Right. And so then it's like you're trying to train for this race and you're trying to increase your mileage and, and get yourself ready and you end up injured and can't do it anyway. Yeah. I mean, there's finally, it's a race on the horizon. The last thing that you want is to be injured when that thing goes off. Right. Exactly. Right. So run more might be good advice for some people, especially younger runners or, um, and when we say younger, we mean your running life. Like yes. you're, you're young in your running life. You're, you're new to the sport of running. And sometimes that advice is just absolutely wrong. And sometimes it's just inadequate. It's just not the full picture. Right. So the longer that you've been running, the more, uh, just generally fit you are, the more that your overall fitness is not the biggest factor in, in being race ready. Like you want to actually have some, some workouts that fine tune you into like racing at that actual Mm -hmm. pace. Maybe you do some, some training runs slightly slower, slightly faster. You kind of narrow in on what your, your race pace is for that exact thing. You can put all sorts of stuff into a training plan. When you first get into running, you're going to get in better shape through most things as long as you stay healthy yeah like that's the thing is you you want to do enough stuff that you're getting you're actually getting fitter but you also want to stay as healthy as possible and that's going to get you as as best as you can so once you're able to hit the mileage that you can complete the race everything that you do as far as you're just generally improving your fitness you're race ready if you've been running for years and years race ready is a little different because you need more than just general fitness. Mm-hmm, right. You're more fine tuning that yes. your skills and stuff. Okay. So let's define what race fit actually means. So does race fit mean that you could be ready to run this weekend or in a month or in 12 weeks? Like what does race fit actually mean to you? And I think that that definition is different for everybody. Oh, totally. And that's, that's a big question is like, what does it mean to be race fit? I think you could go and ask three friends who mm-hmm. are all like, oh no, my plan for 2021 is to just be race ready. Mm-hmm. And they would have three different answers yeah. to this question is that means that I could, at the end of this month, I could run a race or at the end of like two months, I could run a race. Like it, it's going to vary by person to person. It's also going to vary by 
which race do you want to be race ready for? Yes, for sure. Yeah, being race ready for a 5K is much different than being race ready for a marathon or a half marathon. Yeah, and... And not just distance-wise. Right, but it's also like maybe being race ready for a 5k means you need several weeks of like really ramping up your speed speed work so that you can get yourself ready to actually race a 5k Mm -hmm. which is the other thing is does race fit mean you're going to complete the race with a smile on your face or does race fit mean you're aiming to run that race faster than you've ever done it before right right and if you're new to running like we just said what, just by improving your general fitness, you're probably going to be able to hit a PR or a yeah. PB, right? Like even just the fact that you're now, maybe you did like a couch to 5K program, which a lot of runners do when they first start. I think that that's an eight-week program, right? Then you run your 5K at the end. You complete the 5K, right? Then you run for six more months and then you run another 5K, you're probably going to do a lot better the second time, at least if you've been training with any sort of structure, than you did the first time. Yeah, couch to 5K gets you across the finish line. 5K to 5K should get you across the finish line faster. Right. No one calls it a 5K to 5K, but they should make that plan. <laughs> we have that plan. We had, It's literally called 5K to 5K in our training plans. No, it's not. <laughs> it's definitely not called that. It's called like run your 5K PR, right? Like it's, it's optimizing your training because like Kevin said, you know you're already able to complete that distance. So now you just want to get faster at it. Yeah, I think I wanted to call it 5K to 5K and you said that doesn't make any sense. This is the first time I'm ever even hearing this <laughs> 5K to 5K thing. It's, it's better than couch to 5K. Then let's call it that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So one of the things I want to dive a little bit more into is the goal of that race. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to the begin with the end in mind of race ready means what you want it to mean. Right. Like that's the the question is I, I, I want to turn this back on to, you know, Brendan who asked the question, but all the listeners is what does race ready mean to you? It depends on your goal of the race. Yes. If you're looking to complete it, then race ready means simply that you can physically cover the distance of that race. Mm-hmm. Or if it's like a really long race, like a marathon, you should be able to cover similar distances. Like you should be able to be like, yeah, well, I did a 20 last weekend, so I could probably run a marathon this weekend. Mm -hmm. You're race ready if the goal is get across the finish line. Right, exactly. And so that's really a lot of basically just being able to do the distance, right? Like if if the goal is completion, you don't, you're not worried about the pace. You're not worried about the time. You just want to finish the race. You maybe just want to be in a live race environment again. Then that training is going to look a lot different than someone that's training to optimize those types of distances. Right. So he was asking a lot of questions about like, what kind of mileage does it look like to be race ready? Well, this is kind of a a tricky question because, you know, even different athletes that we have, we have people that that run a higher mileage, people that run lower mileage on, on our cross country team. We have people that are higher versus lower mileage. Like there's just a variety of training programs. One of the biggest things that you need especially for some of the longer distances is to focus on the long run. So if you're trying to to run a 10K, maybe you're not just looking across the line. You want to be in like good shape to race a 10K. It might not be your best, but you're going to give it a good strong go. You should be able to run like mm, an eight mile long run Mm -hmm. or like a, a 12 to 14 kilometer long run. Right. If you want to just complete it, you should be at like the four to six mile mark. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, if you can run four miles, you can race six miles. You can cross the line. Yes. Right? But like like Kevin said, if the goal is to, to do okay, right, to do decent, to try to do your best, then you, you should have a little bit more mileage under your belt. Right. And then, you know, you need some experience of that. But I would argue that if you're really going to put yourself into it and try and be more race ready, that what that means is that you could transition from where you are into... At, at most a 12 week program, but maybe you could shorten like a 12 week half marathon program mm-hmm. to like an eight week. Maybe yeah. instead of doing a 16 week marathon program, you do like a 10, mm-hmm. like you could do a condensed version of some of these like training plans that you can find. Right. Like I know that like we have lots of training plans and most of ours are based around like a 12 week training cycle. If you're like quote unquote race ready, you probably don't need the full 12 weeks to give it a good shot. I think that to to aim for like the best you've ever done, I would go through the whole program. Yeah. But to go out there and give it a good solid shot, 
you may need like half of that, mm-hmm. especially if your your long run mileage is already up there. Right. And that's how I like to look at race ready because I have had this thought before. Like, you know, I'm still going out every weekend and doing long runs essentially. And I'm not training. Like my friends and I will laugh and, and be like, why are we doing this? <laughs> you know, like when we're out there, especially if it's like one of those runs that like isn't feeling great, you yep. know, like on the, the days where the weather's beautiful and we see the sunrise, we're like, oh, this is why we do this. Right. But if it's like slogging along and oh, why do we do this <laughs> that's i never sound like that <laughs> so on, i always sound like i'm floating on clouds right sometimes <laughs> they just sound like a group of fairies just running and floating along the road and sometimes they sound like smoked a pack that morning <laughs> why are we out here running <laughs> <laughs> sometimes but anyway like so to me that's that's really my thoughts like i like to maintain that base level so that i can jump into a training plan whenever i choose to mm-hmm. um and it's not that i could do a half marathon the next weekend because i knew i know that that wouldn't necessarily go the way i wanted it to but i could start the training plan or i could start um like well, exactly what you said maybe it would only take me six weeks or eight weeks to, to actually train for that thing yeah i mean we just got somebody that joined our team and they were like actually i i've got a carryover half marathon that got canceled last year it's not a full 12 weeks out but they're already a little bit further along in training than mm-hmm. you would necessarily have to be at that point to, to jump into a cycle so right. it, it works mm-hmm, exactly so what you want to do like if you want to race your best you should be able and ready to transition to that like eight to 12 weeks of race specific training so in order to do that you want to number one maintain a base level long run so it depends on what distance of a race you'd like to be race ready for right if it's just a 5k that's a lot different than if you want to try to be race ready to jump into a marathon training plan right if you're if you're looking to jump into a marathon training plan you should be looking to get your weekend long run somewhere in the like 15 ish miles so that's somewhere around what like a 22 to 25k Mm mm-hmm something in that in that ballpark something. i think i, mean, I've, I, I think i've got the conversion there. pretty pretty solid there right i mean you you can do the conversion too yes <laughs> i think i think that's roughly what we got there okay um because well, so a, so every weekend they should be doing that they should be cycling through because like i know i kind of like to go up and go down and go up and go down but i just kind of keep it in that range yeah so one of the the big things that i like to put out there for people this one i'm going to flip it into a half marathon yeah. is weekend long run of somewhere in the six to eight mile range so somewhere in the what 10 to 14 k kilometer range i like to keep my and, and everybody's different right like right. i think that's kind of the minimum of where you would want to keep it i like to personally i this is kind of how i like to train to kind of be half marathon ready um because if i feel like if i'm half marathon ready i can jump into any distance under that also right so if there's right. a 5k or a 10k that i want to jump into i'm automatically ready for those ones as well um and i haven't done a full marathon yet so so that's not even on my horizon yet. I'm going to wait until I actually can do a full marathon to actually get myself race ready for a full marathon. First, she's going to buy the racing space. <laughs> right. But um, it's one of those things that like if I feel like I'm race ready for a half, that makes me feel good. So in my thing, it's usually I usually like to cycle between like eight and 12. Um, sometimes six or seven like I have been going a little bit shorter on my long runs right now because I am training more speed because my training goal right now is to run a mile PR like to to run my fastest mile ever so I have cut back a little bit on um, the longer runs part of that is also because of like life right like we were out of town for my birthday and I didn't want to go out and do like an 8 to 12 mile run on when we were vacationing with our family right right? so that just got, got cut back so a couple weekends just kind of got cut back and it works still. Right. And I mean, part of this also depends on what you enjoy going out and doing for a long run. Right. Like I've been pretty happy because over the last few weekends, I've got myself, I did back-to-back weekends where my long run was at least 13 miles. Mm-hmm. I did 13 last weekend. I did 14 and a half, well, 13 two weekends ago and like 14-ish right. 
this weekend. But you've always been like a higher mileage runner anyway. Like that I makes you happy. I enjoy being out there for that long. Right. It, it really satisfies me on the weekend of being out there for a while. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's my general go-to range. I also would prefer to put myself in a, in a place that I could flip over to a marathon training schedule. Yeah. And to me, you should be able to run, it, you should be able to be running 13 miles. Mm-hmm. You should be at the half marathon to be at the start of like a good 12 to 16 week marathon training block. Yeah, exactly. Like I have a friend who is running the 50 states. And so she is always trying to be race ready for a marathon because especially now, you know, with last year and this year, not knowing what races are going to happen. She's trying and and she has to plan trips and flights and the whole thing to hit the different states that she hasn't hit yet. right? Right. So she usually likes to maintain that, like what you said, like around the 15, like that 12 to 15 range, I think is where she likes to kind of maintain until she jumps into like a race plan. Right. But even from that range, I like to stay up for a couple of weeks and then I'll have a down week and then I'll go up for two weeks and then I'll have a down week, Mm -hmm. but I'm not trying to build my up. I just like to keep it where it is, but I'll still pull back. To me, a down Mm -hmm. week is like 10 for you. A down week is like an eight mile. An eight. Yeah. Like it's been like a seven lately, but usually eight, I would say like eight, eight to 10 is really my happy range when I'm not training for anything sometimes I'll like to up it to 11 or 12 just because I haven't done it in a while yep you know so I think it just depends on what's going to make you happy um so number one maintain that base level long run number two maintain or increase your strength training okay if you are not currently in a race training plan it's a fantastic time for you to really start to build that strength build that strong running foundation that we've talked that we talk about a lot and get yourself ready and get your stabilizing muscles stronger so that when you do jump into a race training plan, you're that much further ahead with your strength training. Right. Then when you start throwing in all sorts of different workouts that are more race specific, your body's not like, Whoa, I I don't know what you're doing here. I need to spend some extra time focusing on these exercises before I can even get into that sort of, sort of speed, that sort of power requirement. Mm -hmm. You, you build up all of that stuff because that helps you be able to be nice, make, make the nice smooth transition into like an actual race training cycle. Right. All right. So the third thing beyond your long run, beyond your, your strength training is maintain your threshold pacing, which is like moderate to like moderate plus it's like a medium plus level Mm -hmm. and your higher end speed. And this doesn't mean that you need to be cranking out workouts a couple of times a week. Like you can, if you enjoy them, but it means that at least once a week, you have a run where maybe you just throw in some surges throughout, where you take it to like a little bit beyond a medium level, or you have a, a steady state in the middle of a five miler, in the middle of a 10K distance run, you do like the middle 5K at an up tempo. Nothing, it's not racing a 5K in the middle, but it's just a little bit faster than normal. And then you maintain your higher end speed by keeping strides in like once a week. So it just kind of sprinkles in some extra stuff just so that you know that it's still there. Mm-hmm. So when you go into a training cycle, you're like, oh yeah. I remember what going fast is. I've, I still do that on a regular basis. Not like, oh, the last time I did speed was a year and a half ago when I was training for a race. Right. And I think that it is also important to put in like a hard workout here and there. Um, I, I have found that with myself. Like there was a, there was a time last year where I was just kind of floating and I would still do speed work like basically twice a week. I was doing a lot of effort based speed work. I was doing a lot of intervals and that kind of stuff. And then, um, but I, I was avoiding some of those harder workouts. And so when I jumped into like my mile training plan, I'm hitting speeds um, and paces that I have not <laughs> seen in quite a while. Mentally, it was a challenge, right? I found like some, some obstacles and hurdles that were kind of popping up for me that I had to work through mentally, but then also physically, like my legs just hadn't gone that fast in a, in a while. Um, so I think that it is beneficial to also just throw in like one of those hard workouts, um, like quarter repeats or those kinds of things that whatever that workout is for you that you typically don't like on your schedule. Because I think that a lot of times when we're not training for a race, if we're not following a plan and we're just kind of like doing some stuff, we have a tendency to choose the stuff we like, which is great. 
but oftentimes the stuff that we don't like are our areas of weakness. All right. So this brings me to a point I think about race ready, holding you back from your actual potential Yeah, is, well, if, if I might have a race in the next couple of weeks, I don't want to do that workout because I would be too sore from it because yes. I'd be too tired from it. So I'm going to skip that workout. I'll do this thing. I'll still get in a workout. Don't oh no, I'm still pushing myself. Yeah. But you keep avoiding the stuff that you need because the stuff that's really hard is probably the stuff that you actually need to work on mm-hmm. to have the breakthrough in your race. That's why it's uncomfortable because it's, it's one of your current weaknesses and you need to train on that. That doesn't mean that you just grind away at that and you, you suddenly hate every like Wednesday run because you know, it's that hard one, but that means that it shows up periodically and it might be that you can't race that weekend or the one after certainly not to chase a PR, but you will ultimately continue to build and improve on your on your journey. Mm-hmm. So it gets you set up for a race that's a little bit further down the road. Even if it's not something that's actually on the calendar, hitting all of these things and continuing to push yourself through hard workouts gets you set up for greater levels of success. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that includes mental, the the mental benefits of the training also, right? Because yes, it gets you physically set up for it, but it also helps to continually build that mental strength. When you start pushing through workouts that you don't want to do, or when you look at a workout on your training plan and you're like, I don't know if I can hit that. And then you go out there and you do it and you find a way you're building so much mental strength. And I think that that's one of the beautiful things that you can do. So that's why it's important to continue to incorporate these things and follow different types of training plans. Like this is why it's still important to have a training plan, even if you're not racing, because you will get those workouts that might make you uncomfortable, but they're building you up. They're strengthening you in physical and mental ways so that you can jump into a race when you're ready for it. You know, when you start, they start showing up more regularly again, when you start feeling comfortable to be in a race environment again, right? Because some people just aren't even comfortable being in crowds yet. But that's why there's different types of plans. There's different types of cycles. There are race training plans. There are base building plans. There are down cycle and off season types of plans. But things are still being sprinkled in just at different rates at different intensities at different levels, right? And it makes us kind of go back to the whole point of this, right? What does being race fit mean? If you're trying to just be race fit, what you're basically doing is kind of a jack of all trades plan. And you know what they say about jack of all trades? They, they don't get the PR. They, <laughs> right. Jack of all trades, master of none, basically, right? So if you are trying to PR and run your best at a certain race and you're just kind of like trying to stay race fit at all time, you're not allowing like the ups and the downs in your training. And that is really, really important for your body to make adaptations. You need to have harder cycles and you need to have easier cycles. Like that needs to be incorporated in your week, right? Like we talk about having harder runs and having easier runs during that given week. You also need harder runs and easier runs during that month, you know, as a whole, and then as a cycle, and then different cycles of harder cycles or easier cycles as a whole. Even even in those easier cycles, you're still sprinkling in speed work. You're still doing these kinds of things just at a different level and a different intensity. Yeah, it works out nicer when there there are races on the schedule, even if that race is like nine months out, because you can actually build in several different training blocks to build up for it and really optimize for that thing. Mm-hmm. When When you say race ready... I actually, in my head, think about the plans that we have made that are officially, I don't know, officially, it's what we refer to as like off-season plans, Mm -hmm. where you literally are, it's the jack-of-all-trades plan. It's like, well, I just want enough variety out there that I'm not getting bored with my running. Right. Well, okay, you're going to be in solid shape, but you're not going to be ready to race anything. Mm -hmm. Like, you, it it is designed to not be race-ready, but... 
you could conceivably use it and tell yourself that you could jump into any race at any point in time because you have a decent long run and you've got some speed during the week, but it's not ever keyed in on any particular race distance. So you're in really good fitness, but you're not actually keyed in on any particular race. And depending on, on your running experience, maybe just generally improving your fitness is going to get you to a better time. But if you've been running for a while and you have some pretty solid PRs out there, you're going to want a a race-specific plan or even uh, a plan before the plan, like a plan that builds you up into the the specific 12-week training block for this thing because that's what actually gets to to the big breakthroughs. Right. So for us, race fit basically means maintaining that level of fitness so that you can get into a specific race training type of plan right not just that you're able to race uh you know any given weekend um so that's our those are our thoughts on race fit okay if you are kind of like okay this is all really great information but i don't know what any of that means or what that actually looks like in practice okay like yeah okay that sounds really great but like how does that actually look in a training plan we are here to help you okay This is what we do every day, every week, every month for the members of our Real Life Runners training team. We create these plans for you that are well thought out, proven plans within our proven system so that you don't have to figure out any of this on your own, you guys. All right. So we talk to you, we figure out what your goals are. We coach you through, okay, what kind of cycle should I be in right now? Do I have a goal race on the horizon what should I be doing right now? That is what we love coaching you through, okay? Figuring out what plan is best for you right now, making sure that that plan is so comprehensive that it includes all of your running days, like your easy days, your workouts, um, making sure that you're tuning up all the different systems of your body. It includes all of your strength workout, your mobility all of it, okay? You don't have to figure out any of this on your own. So, And, and the results that you get are also incredible. So it's like you get rid of all the confusion and overwhelm and you get to experience pride and accomplishment and PRs and all sorts of amazing things, right? So if you're interested, again, the team is open this week for enrollment um, until spots sell out or until Sunday, February 28th, whichever one comes first. So head over to realliferunners.com forward slash team to check out more information and Join our team. We would love to work with you. Yeah, come join the team. We're changing the world. Yeah. So as always, guys, thanks so much. Brendan, thank you especially for your questions. Um, We loved talking about them and answering them, and we hope that you got a lot of benefit from this. Um, So as always, thank you so much for spending this time with us. This has been the Real Life Runners podcast, episode number 187. Now get out there and run your life. Hey, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, you have to come check out the Real Life Runners training team. It's our monthly coaching program where we take all of this material, we apply it, and we take it to the next level. We teach you how to train your mind, body, and skills for true and lasting success in your running and your life. We offer customized training plans, live coaching calls, and one-on-one coaching, along with our proven system to help you transform into the runner you want to be and achieve your goals. Come join our team over at realliferunners.com forward slash team and start to truly run your life. We'll see you there.